Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim, Will Foxley, and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. Today's show is sponsored by Interpop and the Sun Exchange. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0. I'm Christine Kim, Research Associate at Coindesk. I'm joined today by my usual co-host, lead product owner of Teku at Consensus, Ben Edgington, and former Coindesk Markets reporter, Will Foxley. That's right. I said it former Coindesk Markets reporter, Will Foxley. While I was on my week-long vacation last week, Will up and left Coindesk. Ben, were you surprised at this very sad news? I was, totally. I feel as if I'm just starting to get to know you, Will, and now you're off. And I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going to miss you, not least because, in my view, you are streets ahead of the average crypto journalist in your knowledge of Ethereum. And it's a really complex ecosystem. I always felt that you understand it well, you write accurately and fairly, and that's all we ask. Uh, and I'll definitely miss you. Aww, those are, those Thanks, are very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Such sweet words. I mean, frankly, I don't have that many nice words to say to you, Will. I couldn't believe it at first. However, when I found out what you were going to be up to next, I think like the blocks all fell into place. I kind of understood and I couldn't help but admit that your new role is pretty sweet. Like it's a pretty sweet gig that you got going on. So Will, the betrayer, can you please tell our listeners a bit about what you're up to now and what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. And thanks, Ben. That's really sweet of you. Appreciate the guidance along the way. You're extremely helpful and yeah, I think like crypto journalism is really tough and to have someone who's very patient and willing to take even the simple questions just speaks a lot to your character. And I hope that there's more people like you in the future who are kind of building the bridges for the, the regular journalists out there. Yeah, I'm super stoked about my new role. So I'm now the editorial director at Compass Mining, which is the title is about a bit souped up. But basically, the whole idea here is like, there's a lot of Bitcoin to be mined. And there's even some Ether to be mined, believe it or not, for at least the next six months to a year. And there's people out there who want to mine that, those coins. And so my task now is to kind of be a bridge between people who want to mine, investors who want to get into the cryptocurrency space, and people who don't understand how to do that, and then kind of bridge them with like the more technical pools and mining operators and facilities and co-location facilities out there. And so just like building research and video and podcasts and stuff like that. So more of a, like a holistic media role than just reporting. Um, both are great, great jobs. Reporting is awesome. I'm going to miss it, but just a little bit different role. So excited for it. So Will, from uh, where I sit, it does feel like you are going over to the dark side. Um, <laughs> it, yes. it, it, really, it really feels like we're so close to getting Ethereum fully onto proof of stake. You know, this is my life's work. And in my little social media bubble, there's so much negativity towards proof of work at the moment. How do you see it? How do you see proof of stake versus proof of work playing out over the years to come? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's something that right now at Compass that we're trying to navigate in a, a way that shows intellectual honesty, because there is a lot of 
negativity around proof of work. And there's also a lot of negativity around proof of stake because I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding about what proof of stake does and what like the purpose of it is. Just to answer your question a little bit more, over the coming years, I do see proof of stake coming online for Ethereum and I see it being successful. There's been so many test nets and so many multi-client test nets. And there's even been a chain running for proof of stake on Ethereum for nearly six months now with almost no hiccups. And I don't see that stopping. Uh, I think like the merge will definitely be like difficult. And I think there could be some contention there at some point. And that's just kind of the nature of like a of a blockchain that has a lot of participants, the governance is messy. It's like always a tagline, but I'm pretty pro like both proof of stake and proof of work. I don't know which one wins out over the years. To me, I think it kind of comes down to just like capital costs. Both have capital costs no matter what, and both use energy just in different ways. So proof of work, like famously, you have to get these chips, which is energy intensive, and then you have to put them in facilities to hash, and that's very energy intensive as well. And there is a lot of negativity around that. Proof of stake also uses energy, but in a different way. It's kind of more in the background because you need necessarily computers to be a validator. So just like a different, it, it just uses energy in a way that's much more different. It's difficult to explain, I guess. But I think that at the end of the day, like everyone's going to have to use energy. And I'm excited to dig into that question more myself and understand the debate more. I don't really have any more insight into the question right now. Maybe we can dig into proof of stake versus proof of work here. Um, I would be interested to get your thoughts, Ben. The energy thing is so hot right now. It's so interesting to see everyone's take on it. But to me, I feel like at some point, if you're validating or you're moving money, like you have to use energy at some point. So that's kind of like the position I have on it. Yeah, this energy use thing is the nub of the matter, isn't it? And the proof of stake for me wins heavily here because the, the amount of energy needed to secure the network is something like one ten thousandth of what mm -hmm. Ethereum is currently using for proof of work mining. And that's not a, a, a small difference. That's a, a material difference to the uh, heat emissions and CO2 emissions of the planet. So uh, for me, that's the main motivation for proof of stake, though there are some other quite nice security properties. Justin Drake did a bankless podcast episode recently, two hours uh, on proof of stake, where he justifies a lot of proof of stakes property from a security and economic point of view, uh, which, uh, which I found very helpful. It's not too technical, but uh, worth a listen. So that's where I come down on, on the argument. I know there are arguments on using green energy and proof of work and driving the industry and things. Fundamentally, I don't buy it, but that's, mm. uh, you've got your work cut out in your new role to uh, you know, um, justify that and, and promote that. So uh, good luck. <laughs> the good luck was like a, uh, it was like a snarky good luck. <laughs> a British hey, good luck. <laughs> I'm long ether. So at the, at the end of the day, I got feet in both camps. No, so I, I had an interesting talk really quick. Uh, I'll just add this anecdote. My older brother is getting his PhD in chemistry and he's taken some higher level classes on how like ASIC chips are made or just like any sort of chip. And it's interesting to like think about how like every single computer has to have those chips and they're really energy intensive to make to like process that silicon. And to me, that's like something I don't understand about proof of stake and something I want to dig into. And frankly, I just don't have an opinion about right now uh, is like if you just keep rolling back where you're defining where energy comes from, how do proof of stake proponents answer those questions? 
Because at some point, like I have to make a computer and that takes a lot of energy. And that necessarily involves like mining, mining like actually in the earth as opposed to mining with a hash rate. So that's something I'm looking into. And if Danny's post goes into that, that'd be pretty interesting to know. Yeah. And I think one of the assumptions about proof of stake is that you'd have a bigger base of validators than you would have a bigger base of miners in a proof of work system um, because it's a lot easier for anyone to come online as a validator. Presumably, you'd have more people incentivized to earn rewards on the network and do these responsibilities. Whereas for mining, I think at least on Bitcoin, it's become so professionalized, so difficult for hobbyist miners to make a profit, to find it even worthwhile to run these machines. There is concern that apart from the energy being used, the only people who are in it are very deep-pocketed like businesses, corporations. And so I think it's interesting, Will, that you're looking at how to make mining more accessible. And I think that for validators, even though it's not like as much energy being used by a single validator, if there are more validators out there using computer resources to earn, you know, a little bit of extra ETH, what kind of impacts that might have down the long run comparing, you know, a smaller portion of people expending energy to mine Bitcoin versus a very large base of consumers, of users expending smaller per individual bits of energy to mine out Ethereum, but collectively perhaps using uh, Mm. lots of computational resources. Meet Interpop, a super team redefining the future of NFTs and fandom. From comics and trading card games to digital collectibles and everything in between, they are building the architecture of an entirely new landscape of fandom using technology built on the Tezos blockchain to drive their vision. Visit hellointerpop.io to learn more. That's hellointerpop.io to learn more. With the Sun Exchange, you can easily earn Bitcoin while making a positive impact. Visit thesunexchange.com slash coindesk to buy solar cells and automatically lease them to power businesses, schools, and other organizations in sunny emerging markets. You'll earn Bitcoin for 20 years from the clean energy you generate while offsetting your carbon footprint. Get a free solar cell with your first purchase at thesunexchange.com slash coindesk. That's thesunexchange.com slash coindesk. Yeah, it's a very rich subject to be sure. And I think that's something that kind of gets to the heart of Ben's question earlier is like, this is a multi-year debate. And at the end of the day, I think the great thing about crypto in general is most people want to come to a solution or I would hope come to a solution that's better for the system, like the protocol itself with like the end goal of like decentralizing finance or freeing the money from the state. So I think it's a rich conversation and I'm very excited to be kind of in a position where I can write about it and talk about it and hopefully have some insight, even if it's small for like the community itself. Yeah, it's bittersweet news for sure. I mean, we're so excited to see all that you're going to be doing at Compass Mining, but we're also kind of sad that this is going to be our last show together, all three of us together as co-hosts. I mean, as you say, you know, we might have you back, Will, from time to time as a special guest on Mapping Out East 2.0, but Starting from next week, Ben and I are going to be continuing the series on our own as regular weekly co-hosts of the show. So 
knowing that, I mean, well, Ben and I wanted to ask you a few questions about your time as an Ethereum tech reporter. I know I said markets in the beginning, but even though you were a markets reporter by title, you were still doing a lot of Ethereum coverage. Um, so what's the most memorable Ethereum story you think you worked on as a, as a Coindesk journalist and why? Yeah, so Ben sent me some of these questions like last week and I went through them really quickly and immediately the one that popped to my mind for this question was last March, March 2020, uh, there was a huge flare began with programmatic proof of work and there was just one of the best all core devs calls I've ever listened in on. <laughs> It was uh, hilarious. I mean, I mean the cool day. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ben <laughs> knows. Because like those calls are just, honestly, they can be deathly boring and there's important stuff going on in them. But it's just like, we need to get this stuff done and we need to kind of talk about it in like a, a forward fashion. And so the conversations aren't normally that interesting, especially when I'm on the West Coast area. And so it's like 7 a.m. and I'm trying to stay awake. <laughs> But Amin really woke me up this time because he was just going off on some antics and it was hysterical just to be like be in the shoes of the people who were trying to like moderate the call. And Amin asked like why he wasn't a core dev and why if he could be made a core dev like in that moment and why he couldn't make decisions for Ethereum. And like he's been around the block forever. So like he was just like expertly trolling the conversation. There was like some other people who were a little more grumpy and did not want him <laughs> jumping into the conversation and started yelling at him. I think someone made a gif out of it at some point and it was great. But yeah, I think that was like the most memorable, like funny story itself. It was just like that programmatic proof of work or prog pal conversation. I think in terms of Ethereum reporting, the things that have been most interesting to me was the launch of DeFi or like the mainstreaming of DeFi over the last year. And that seemed to kind of come about around the same time uh, in March, 2020 with like just that collapse in the US stock market and the onset of COVID, uh, we just saw DeFi kind of take off in Stripe as everyone was at home and everyone was playing around the internet and saw these really cool financial primitives. And so just kind of seeing that play out over a year going from 1 billion assets under management on these protocols to nearing 100 billion, it's just pretty incredible to like watch that uh, be born. like. The people who have been doing DeFi have been doing it since at least 2017, uh, often or even earlier. And to see like their baby come about was pretty incredible from an outsider's perspective. So that's my funny take. And then that's my like more serious take. Nice. Amin, ever the troll. Yeah. If people who are listening don't know who Amin Salamani is, he's the, I think he's still the CEO of Spank Chain, which is this, I think it's an Ethereum based mm -hmm. application that allows you to pay for porn using ether or like crypto assets, other tokens like ERC20 tokens. Yep. Yep. Opinionated yep. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well-known character. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to kind of follow up on your view of kind of Ethereum governance, the Ethereum development process. You, you've had a chance for a while now to observe pretty close up how Ethereum progresses. And yeah, I'd be really interested to hear your sort of honest view on what the sort of strengths and weaknesses of the process are uh, as you see them, uh, in particular, the sort of ETH2 development that's been going on over the last uh, couple of years. This is a full question. Mm. So in my view, I think the argument that it is really hard to understand Ethereum and kind of see where the roadmap is going is very fair. 
I think on the flip side, if I was developing Ethereum or ETH2, I'd be pretty tired and worn out from developing the chain, let alone trying to communicate it to people. So I think it's kind of a catch-22 in that situation. The work, such as like your newsletter or Danny Ryan's blogs uh, or anything that like Evan Van Ness's weekly, like what's new in ETH2 or what's new in Ethereum or week in Ethereum uh, rather, I think those things are like very valuable and people don't quite get the uh, encouragement or uh, notoriety that they do deserve because those things are kind of like the bridge to understanding Ethereum. And if the whole process of Ethereum is to decentralize finance, then you necessarily need those people to be there. So from the, like, the governance standpoint, like it took me quite a while and took a lot of hard work to get to the point where I was understanding the core devs call and like even finding the core devs call and understanding like what days of the week it was and who in the call when they spoke up it was like important to listen to even sometimes because there's no titles in ethereum necessarily but there is people who kind of are understanding where things are going and they can summarize and have a little bit more gravitas when they speak and that takes a really long time to understand uh so i think like for crypto journalists my encouragement would just be like putting the legwork it pays off and it's pretty great once you kind of understand things and where they're going I don't know how many, how much insight I have into the strengths and weaknesses of ETH2 and governance. It's like such a, a textured conversation. Yeah. Uh, can I throw that question back to you? Would that be fair? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm interested in not exactly outsiders, but kind of third party views because I'm so much in the, in the midst of it that it's yeah. kind of hard to be uh, dispassionate about the sort of strengths and weaknesses. I do see not exactly chaos, but a degree of disorder, which I struggle to know whether it's it's a positive or negative. I mean, it's almost sort of evolutionary, right? We sort of explore many paths and then the fittest ones survive. And it's sort of we evolve rather than doing what I used to do in my, my old job, sitting down and planning a sort of three-year roadmap with Gantt charts and, and budgets and roles and responsibilities. We kind of explore and map out the territory as, as we go. That is hard to communicate. It involves dead ends and things that seem important one month, not being important the next month. But out of it all, this kind of glorious thing emerges that just seems to get better and better and more and more ambitious. So I kind of struggle to know where the strengths and weaknesses are. So I'm very interested in others' views. Christine, you want to take a shot at it? It's a hard question for sure. It's such a tough question. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I noticed a lot about Ethereum reporting is that as much as it is a large decentralized community and people of all backgrounds and all over the world working together on this one project, the process of making decisions and the process of creating standards and norms for protocols, it does seem actually a lot more centralized than say the Bitcoin project. And I think it comes as a byproduct of the fact that so much more needs to be done on Ethereum, like so many more bigger decisions have to be made, whereas a lot of the development work happening on Bitcoin is optional add-ons. They're things that wouldn't break the protocol of Bitcoin. But when it comes to things like the Ethereum 2.0 upgrade, these are projects that are integral to kind of the future of Ethereum in that if certain changes to scalability and certain changes to you know, tackling the issue of high fees aren't innovated, then Ethereum's usability as a platform in the long term kind of breaks down. 
So when it comes to how decisions get made, I've seen a lot of efforts made over the past three years to make these decision-making processes more standardized and more black and white in a way, because people have become frustrated with decentralized governance not uh, moving fast enough. Common examples of this is originally the project of Ethereum, Ethereum 2.0, they were done on these all core developer calls, which happen once every, say, month. They were live stream on YouTube. Anybody could join them if you just, you know, give the, the meeting organizer a heads up in advance about what you wanted to talk about. But slowly from there, uh, we started to get more formalized in the process of who's on these calls, who's directing these calls. And there was a separate organization called the Ethereum Cat Herders that were created that were meant to be these project managers of Ethereum to bring to light what the agenda and the roadmap needs to be or should be. And moving forward from there, there were new systems of governance. So moving conversations from a pretty informal like chat room called Gitter to now this multi-network, uh, multi-channel uh, version of how decisions and, and community calls get done to Discord, which is this other like uh, messaging platform. And so I, I think there's like a slight concern, slight negative in my view of perhaps too much centralized control, like too much dominance from a particular portion of the Ethereum community that overpowers other voices and it getting to the point of sometimes just of like louder voices winning out. That's the one thing that I would say about Ethereum governance that I've seen over the years that has shaped the way that I view its coverage and its reporting in the media lens. Yeah, that's interesting. I shall reflect on that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not, nothing to say like particularly to you, like pinpointing you, Ben, but yeah. How dare you criticize Ethereum. General comment of, uh, <laughs> of Ethereum coverage. Yes. I mean, as much as I, I do love this space, there are always things that I think about and that I do try and share openly with like community members mm. too. But speaking of community, speaking of, you know, how things are changing, Will, can you give us your last update on community and governance for Ethereum and Ethereum's merge to Ethereum 2.0 for the show? Yeah, I think Ben could probably speak to this a little bit more as I've started dipping my toe in other, other areas. To me, it seems that there's been just like a lot of focus on uh, things outside of ETH2 right now. Like I haven't seen a lot of updates for the roadmap, because I think a lot of things are just set, like the merge is coming probably later this year. EIP 1559 is coming this summer, which I think is a big test of the governance of Ethereum to see like how smoothly that transition works. I'm confident it's going to be fine. It's a big nothing burger. Uh, but I think it is just like an interesting prelude going to the merge. There's been a really big focus on minor extracted value or maximal extracted value recently with even Vitalik joining uh, the Flashbots project and like helping them a little bit. Well, not officially joining them, but helping out uh, administer like a call and kind of going through some of the ideas with the people there. And for listeners, maximal extracted values or MEV is just like the idea that you can kind of extract rent from Ethereum by ordering transactions and you can kind of like charge people more for prioritizing their transaction over someone else's. There's a very hot debate right now about it. And there's a pretty interesting debate about how it will change ETH2 and like what that will look like with ETH2. From my understanding, and I actually wrote about this, I think it was one of my last articles at Coindesk, like MEV and ETH2 
kind of the same as MEV and ETH1. There's not too much of a change besides validators being able to sequence transactions. But yeah, I think that's kind of where people are at right now. The roadmap's been more or less set. And so it's just kind of like looking ahead and, and getting ready much in the same way that it was like with the beacon chain. Everyone had like more or less a launch date in mind by the end of 2020 and people were heads down building out for that. And I think we have a similar situation here. Yeah, we've definitely got some momentum towards getting the merge, the uh, move of Ethereum fully onto proof of stake done by the end of this year. There's some polling of devs has been done and uh, seems to be a, a majority who would support that. I'd like to see it. I'm a little more sort of cautious or pragmatic. I'd prefer to put kind of Q1 next year, but if on the happy path, I think we could hit it this year for sure. Yeah, but just to confirm, I mean, the merge would be a transition to proof of stakes. The energy consumption of Ethereum would, would change significantly, but there wouldn't be a significant change to fees, the issue of, of fees on the network, the high, high fees and scalability issues, correct? Right. Yeah. So this is just substituting proof of work for proof of stake. So it really changes almost nothing else. For the average user, they won't even know. It, it will just be transparent uh, from that point of view. Most of the hope for reduction in fees is pinned on roll-up technologies. We've got optimism and we've got ZK roll-ups of various sorts kind of in the pipeline. And yeah, a huge amount going on in, in that space at the moment. So uh, it's definitely a great time to be alive. Definitely if the miner extracted value and front-running transactions, if that issue still persists, I guess, in Ethereum 2.0, it'll definitely be something to watch for. Ben, do you want to give a little bit of a tech update if there is one for Ethereum 2.0 for the show today? If there's not much that's going on, definitely don't feel like you have to um, make something up out of thin air because we can do a little bit of markets talk to close off the show. There's never any lack of things going on, uh, Christine. So <laughs> it's just a question of which one's interesting. I mean, we've got Altair, we've got Prata, we've got Rayanism, uh, never mind the merge. One thing, we're definitely getting better at naming things. So uh, there's some pretty cool names going on. Uh, let's talk about Rayanism briefly. Uh, Rayanism is a style of Russian abstract art, which involves like sharding things. I um, might give a clue wow. as to where we're going here. So we are doing over the next month, uh, there's a hackathon, which is the ETH Global Scaling Ethereum Hackathon. And there's a sort of informal effort amongst all of the ETH2 and ETH1 clients teams to get together and put together a merged DevNet, not a sort of open test net, but a proof of concept DevNet, which is going to have proof of stake. The EVM is going to have sharding. And the stretch goal is to put the optimism roll-up on it all, all within the next month so that then we have a proof of concept of a sort of fully running migrated proof of stake scalable sharded system and that's it, it reminds me of what we did eight, 18 months ago so we a uh, bunch of us about 30 40 of us got together in uh, woods in ontario and we did the first um hooking up the eth2 clients all of the beacon chain clients uh, people from all the different client teams were there and we got seven different ETH2 clients all talking to each other for the first time. And that was the point at which uh, I thought, whoa, we, we might actually be able to do this. This is a kind of similar thing, putting together the prototype, the, the proof of concept for the next thing we're, we're going to deliver, the big picture thing. We're not able to get together in the woods, but um, it's all being done virtually, but it should be a lot of fun and hopefully produce 
uh, impressive results. That's really cool that you guys are doing this through a hackathon that's just open to anybody who wants to potentially create like the next specifications for what Ethereum, which is the second largest blockchain in the world, uh, will adopt. It's pretty cool that you guys are opening up the floor to any hackers like that. So is my understanding that Rayanism will potentially be the specifications for, say, like phase one and beyond? Because I understand that with the merge, plans for everything outside of phase zero is now, you know, getting updated, being pushed down to the longer term. So like you said, things like sharding, things like, say, updating the Ethereum virtual machine. Is RAN isn't going to be the updates for things that will be implemented after the merge happens? Is that the point of RAYANism? Yeah, after and including. So that's the goal is to prove that the whole thing hangs together as a system, uh, that we can do sharding and that we can use that sharded data effectively. And we'll also hopefully demo withdrawals so stakers can extract their stake and, and stop staking. Uh, and get their ETH back. So yeah, lots going into that. And yeah, to echo your point, it is open. There is a website. We'll drop the link uh, into the show notes. That's rayanism.io. That links to all the different documents and specs and so forth. So it's part of the iterative process of checking if the spec works and then feeding back, modifying and evolving and improving it. Oh, gotcha. So it includes it includes things that will be needed for the merge itself. That's pretty yeah. cool that it's more yeah, imminent yeah. too. Also, all these names, Altair, Praetor, Rayanism, to me, it's just more complications. It's more jargon. The next time I'm in a core dev meeting, you know, I'm going to have to try and get up to date about all these terms that are constantly changing. I mean, well, uh, one of the reasons why these meetings were so difficult, eh? Because all the, all the names and the technical terminology are things that are, are constantly being updated and thrown in anew. Yeah, you're not wrong there. EIP discussion itself is not uh, the most thrilling topic either. It's uh, no Hollywood movie, I'll say that, but <laughs> it's it's important. Definitely. So it doesn't seem like, okay, as per usual, we don't have time for the market update today, but Sad. next week, we're going to start off with that because every time I miss out on doing my market update, I try and, you know, wiggle it in. Um, <laughs> number went thing. up. Yes, number went up. So please do join us again next week for another episode of Mapping Out ETH 2.0. Thank you for everybody who tuned in today. Ben and I will be back again next Thursday with more insights on proof of stake and Ethereum development. Uh, you can follow my work at Compass Mining at compassmining.io. Yeah, I think it's a pretty nifty website. Come check us out if you want to learn more about proof of work or other random coins out there. Uh, along with like some educational content and then like videos of facilities and stuff like that. Be sure to subscribe to Coindesk podcasts for notifications and alerts when the next new episode airs. And if you haven't done so already, do subscribe to our newsletters. I write every other week on Ethereum 2.0 development, which you can find at eth2.news or follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when the next one is out. And you can subscribe to Christine's weekly newsletter called Valid Points by going to coindesk.com. It won't be Christine and Wills anymore. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> no. But if you do have any questions that you thought of as you were listening to this podcast or questions just in general about ETH 2.0, you can connect with any one of us on Twitter. Our handles are in today's show notes. Please give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. 
other than that, we will see you guys next week for another episode of Mapping Out East 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye, Will. See ya. Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine Kim, Will Foxley, and Ben Edgington. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com. We are witnessing the greatest paradigm shift in finance in modern history. Join thousands of newsmakers and influencers talking the future of money at Consensus by Coindesk. A live virtual experience of leaders, change makers, virtual reality meetups, keynotes from Ray Dalio, Gary Vaynerchuk, and much more. Get an up-close look at the boom in crypto, the surge of institutional investment in Bitcoin, the NFT mania, the breakneck innovation in decentralized finance, and the coming disruption from central bank digital currencies. Coindesk Reports listeners can visit events.coindesk.com and use the promo code REPORTS to save $25. Join us May 24th through the 27th for Consensus by Coindesk. Register today at events.coindesk.com. We'll see you there.